0: All right, thank you everyone for joining us for this uh, last session of the Builder Studio. Uh, as uh, we were told, uh, we'll be discussing exits, uh, especially from the acquisition point of view. So with me here, I have Jan Areza, but now the CEO and founder of Time is Limited, but previously, uh, like he founded and led Social Bakers for nine years, as was told, and was uh, had a successful exit to a private equity fund in 2020. Um, Jan, would you want to introduce yourself a bit more?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, Serial entrepreneur and uh, I guess uh, you know when I started my journey uh, uh, Originally, we we kind of didn't know where we're taking it. You know, we're, are we just building a company? Are we gonna exit and and early on we said with my co-founders look when we when we reach 50 million 100 million in company valuation We're just gonna exit. You know, we're gonna dr- right off to the sunset. We're all gonna be extremely happy and and um, you know, as we surpassed the funding with a valuation of 100 million, we're sort of like, okay, that's, that's clearly not happened, Let, you know, we're moving on. And um, I guess the, the ongoing learning for me moving forward is just there's probably no riding into the sunset. That's why I'm building my uh, next business time is limited and, uh, you know, <laughs> happy to share the experiences with everyone here on the uh, exit itself.
0: Yeah, so let's start kind of with a very basic question. How would you define an exit?
1: Well, you and I spoke about this a bit at backstage, right? So, so uh, an exit—you know—what would it be defined? <laughs> you said it would be the exit of the investors, and I guess that's that's really it, right? Because for a lot of the founders, uh, a lot of my friends uh, sold companies uh, to, you know, Facebook uh, and and others are and are staying around, and not only, for example, in their loca, but many of are, of them are thinking of staying uh, after, uh, because you know some of the companies that uh, that acquire them uh, create an environment where which is still innovative. They can still stay and they take care of their baby. Uh, others, uh, so like in my case, I, I already wasn't full-time when we sold a company, so I didn't have to stay. I didn't have to uh, look up and didn't have to sort of serve the full two, three years. And also there's a third scenario where you kind of sell the company and you really don't want to be around, but you really have to and you're locked in and a lot of money is locked in there. And I, that actually is a prevailing number of my friends that have sold companies uh, that have... Kind of this scenario that they're sticking around and counting the days and cutting down the meter up to up to the point of uh, uh, The the exit so it's interesting. So what's a successful exit? I, you know, it's I guess for the investor, but also for uh, for the founder, right?
0: Yeah, I suppose the definition of a successful exit is different for an investor and it is often discussed from the investor point of view But then uh, that's not necessarily same for you. Um, since you were acquired, when did you know you would sell the company?
1: Well, you know, we've got offers for actually very similar amounts of money to what we sold for uh, several years back. Uh, and we we decided not to. We thought there's, you know, bigger upside. And so there there was probably a, an earlier time for us to sell the company, or, or optimally. Uh, but but uh, I think you kind of know when you reached a phase where you're like okay so can we really move this as a team forward or is is this is this something that's going to have to be done by by someone else or it's going to have to be merged into a a, a bigger company that's going to blend it with the a wider piece of software and especially this the social media marketing stage specifically started consolidating and uh, we were one of the, we, we were afraid this was a game of musical chairs and we would be the last uh, independent company standing and would really, it would not really fit anywhere because everybody's made their bet in acquisition, so there was a risk of that, really.
0: Well, since you said that you got similar offers beforehand as well, do you think it was actually the right time to sell?
1: It was, prob- it was probably the right time to sell b- a little bit before than we than we did, but I think it it was not the wrong idea to to uh, you know kind of keep go- trying to keep going. So I think it was it was in a way optimal timing for uh, the founding team. It was probably optimal timing for the for the shareholder investors as well.
0: And then I suppose it's quite difficult for founders to let go of a company. I think a company is kind of like your baby, and and you would want to like a lot of like um. A lot of founders obviously have to dream of taking their companies public and so on, but when is it actually better to sell than to push forward? Like, what are the things you should look, be looking at besides your runway, for example?
1: Well, f- f- for us, you know, m- m- my co-founders and I al- always discuss this, like, w- when, do we, when do we do this? Wh- who wants to do it? Who doesn't? And um, when we were selling the business, only sort of one and a half co-founders were in the business full-time at that moment. And uh, one of them was becoming a commercial pilot, which he is today, which is funny and uh, and they kind of like we we had differences of opinion at, at the moments at, at that moment. So I personally didn't want to sell for a long time and and they they you know already said, okay, you know it's the right time, Jan so and at the end of the day, a combination of sort of opportunities and investor talks were like okay let's 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 do this right now.
0: What was the kind of final thing that convinced you since you said you were convinced of it later maybe
1: well you know we, we had investors that were in different stages of, of, of their funds but but for for you know we we were very fortunate enough that index one of our investors uh, was they were at the end of their fund's life cycle but at the at the same time we were in a fund where Adyen was a massive fund returner they did like 50x with one company of a uh, return on a fund maybe even more and and so it was like, uh, for, for Index, mo- monetarily, this was a, a big nice to have on that fund. And so they did kind of like, you guys do what you wanna do. And, and uh, the other fund at the time that we were starting to exit was, 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 n- did not have that fund return yet, but it happened as we were exiting. So you know, while there potentially was pressure at the beginning, there was absolutely no pressure at the end. So we almost scrapped the exit uh, several several times where we said, okay, maybe do we go and just stop this and wait? And we eventually said we wanna we wanna move forward with it. So
0: Yeah, the Radam is is obviously very different depending on, yeah, um whether you're bootstrapped or whether you actually have uh, VC funding behind you. And then, as you said, uh, depending on where the funds are actually themselves at with there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest aspect to this, by the way, right, it was, was COVID, right? We, we, saw, we started selling basically with, with the pandemic. And our bankers were from uh, London. And, uh, you know, they, they used to fly to San Francisco five times a week. But suddenly, you know, they wouldn't and couldn't. So we sold a company over Zoom meetings. And uh, that's a big difference of how it used to be done. So we were one of the sort of first bigger processes that happened over almost exclusively over Zoom.
0: Yeah, so um, now that we've kind of discussed how you actually came to the decision of selling your company, what was the actual process like? Could you kind of detail the different steps that founders should look out for?
1: Yeah, so, so I think every co-founder like I was on the board of the company right Uh, even even after I was not not full-time we had very regular boards once every uh, two to three months and we were discussing this for for several boards in a row we were uh, you know we we were not in a rush the company was sort of cash flow neutral which means uh, it wasn't burning money we didn't really need to go raise some uh, some emergency funding and it was it was like that for four four and a half five years where it didn't really burn any of its any of its cash so we were in a very different situation we were not under pressure which means we could easily take uh you know a year or more of time which eventually we thought this was a 6 month process but with covid it ended up i think being like time from banker signature to time to money i think it ended up being way over a year and this surprised me because we were all expecting like okay it's going to be done in 6 months this is almost a bargain for the buyer and uh you know with COVID, this was much more difficult than we ever anticipated.
0: For the other things that surprised you in the process,
1: well, you know, we had—I I guess we, we had the most interesting closing day uh, of that I've ever heard anyone uh, describe. So, we were supposed to just arrive, you know, founders, shareholders, investors, and sign. Uh, Shareholder uh, investors uh, just gave power of attorneys, uh, and this was all supposed to happen in 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 person. Uh, learning number one: don't ever. Build. Uh, we we had the company's eight HQ and the original sort of mother company was a Czech company, and you had, we had physical shares, which means they had to be given over <laughs> to someone. And uh, the American company buying it uh, sent their lawyers, and and they're like, well, here's the signature page. Can you sign it and give me your shares? <laughs> And we're like, well, that's not how it works over here. Like, we can't do that. We're just giving you shares and you'd have all of it. And we'd have a signature page with no commitment. So we wanted money on the accounts before or during giving them the shares. And so um, there was a big misunderstanding when we came into the signing room. And the person that was supposed to solve that, uh, the CFO, CEO of the company and president of the company, was uh, quarantined uh, with co- you know, a COVID quarantine, sitting in a car under the lawyer's office. So I don't recall how many elevator trips I did between his car and the and the office, but we were supposed to come at noon and have it signed and done with champagne at 2:30. Uh, when it, 2:30 p.m., uh, you know, sort of 12 hours later, when we were still fighting of over you know the terms and and attachments and and amendments, and we were just exhausted. And at several times we thought we'd we'd walk away, but luckily you know the the voices from the cars and the and various other places and i have to say like uh, index really like stepped up at that point andre the chief legal at at index spent 9 hours with us on a video call and and stayed with us till 4am which is the moment that it signed uh, so not to a pm and there was no champagne there was rum <laughs> and and because it was just too late for champagne and we thought we would go out to party and we, we just went to go to sleep.
0: So actually I was going to ask, I think one of the things that seems like quite a big box to me is the legal side of M&As and you said Index supported you in that.
1: Very much. I think, uh, you know, they, they, Andre is one of the best lawyers, business lawyers I've ever worked with in my life and uh, we also had regular lawyers that sent an invoice to which I almost fainted when I got it, right? <laughs> and uh, US lawyers, and then EU lawyers, and all sorts of things, and I guess you just have to kind of, it, it, you know, it, when, when, when you're, you know, chopping down the forest, there's, you know, timber and wood flying around, wood chops flying around, so I guess that's how you need to approach it, even though if it's a, you know, big chunk of the deal that you burn on lawyers, it's, you have to do it. Uh, they're there to protect you. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any problems uh, after, uh, you know, all all escrows were, were released, which is, you know, great for us. So, you know, they did a good job.
0: And as you mentioned, you you did all of this over Zoom and a lockdown. How was that? Uh,
1: terrible. Uh, really, really terrible. So uh, I, I don't advise or recommend to anyone. But I guess people were not used to it back then, right? Now I think people are more and more used to doing this. But... Yeah, it was it was tough
0: Speaking of tough. Yeah, the next question is kind of on as as I mentioned before Founders do tend to maybe view their companies as their children somewhat um, So I think the question then becomes kind of how was the process emotionally for you like giving off your company?
1: Well, it, it was it was very difficult. It was it, it was difficult in many stages. It was difficult uh, Leaving it as CEO. It was difficult leaving it as exec uh, in general. I mean uh but but at the same time, you know that that's the next chapter for the business, and it's not like I disappeared and disappeared into, into the sunset. I kept coming back, and uh, uh, we kept chatting, uh, I kept advising as many people as I could at the company privately, and uh, I do to this very day. And the best, I think, thing for me that, that could happen at the company, whilst people, you know, yes, people complain after they uh, got acquired and merged, etc., but... First of all, like when, when it was acquired and it was merged with another uh, marketing company that is complementary, not competitive, but complementary, the amount of top management roles that were acquired by top managers at Social Bakers was, was just great. Uh, it was a big number. And uh, everyone sort of stayed at the business. No one really, 15 months later, none of the key people really left the business. And that's, I think, a testament to how we've built. And that was the most important thing for me. So even then they call me saying, oh, I'm so upset, I'll quit. I'm like, you know, it's what it is. And, you you know, are you there for something or are you there for, for the mission and vision we set? And that has not changed to this day. It's just was helping marketers and is helping marketers provide the best software.
0: And how did you kind of find, like, the entity that ended up acquiring you? Because, I mean, maybe founders don't set out to, you know, thinking that their companies are going to be acquired, but it is also important to kind of have, those relationships in the kind of
1: ecosystem. Yeah, so I, th- I think the biggest screw-up, and that was personally mine as CEO, was I, I didn't build enough uh, relationship with the strategic ecosystem. I kind of, it was always left on a second or third lane. Oh, let's focus on the business and growing it. And we did, but there was never good alignment with, with the players in the ecosystem. And, and that's something I would do differently today. When building the business, I would start building partnerships uh, deeper integrations uh, deeper. I mean, we launched a Salesforce integration after the exit of the company, right? So we didn't have a good footprint with some of the key players in the industry. And I think that was the biggest mistake we've uh, done. And that probably even at the same exact size that the company ended being, that might have doubled or tripled the uh, exit outcome. And I I don't, you know, I, I think you can't think of a company building it that that company you know Microsoft or Google's gonna buy it that's not the way but I think you should have it at the back of your head like you know in case I don't know we run into even trouble or or in this case if we if we build a great company and, and, and we need a partner then you need to have those relationships built and social bakers did not have enough of those built up built up
0: and are you changing your ways this time around then with your new company
1: well, with with time is limited, we're obviously you know I, I like making mistakes, but I hate not, you know repeating them. Um, so learning from that and building key relationships with all the players. So, where time is limited, it's we're in the collaboration analytics space. We analyze uh, things like Google, things like Microsoft. So while those are our biggest uh, competitors and partners at the same time, um, so so yeah, building relationships with those and countless others in the ecosystem is absolutely critical
0: and with you know your previous company did you actually want to take it public was that the dream you had
1: well i guess every founder is looking at it and thinking okay okay you know we're, we're gonna ring that bell over at nasdaq or do something <laughs> do something along those lines but uh but you know i guess you know wait having waited maybe a few more years and having but that was not in the that was not in the sort of stars for 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 this one but you know with with uh with time is limited, really. Even though uh, we're partnering up, etc. I really wish that this this kind of we're going to take this on a on a long run, really long run. And I'm I'm not afraid at all to go and take it all the way. And for me, all the way isn't an IPO. It's it's sort of even funding is today is taken too much as a milestone, and I hate it. Like you know companies big milestones really don't get covered and then you have like yeah you get a funding round and suddenly you're all over the place and i get why this is the case but really uh, for 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 me with time is limited, it's just a growth milestone a way to get uh, capital and and depending on the opportunity uh, that will arise it, it will be uh, a form of a form of a milestone but but it really should be how many clients do we have, What it, what is it, how much time, with time is limited, do we save for people at big companies? And that should be, really be how we should be judged and how businesses should be judged. In Social Bakers case, this was, you know, it was serving tens of thousands of marketers around the world, helping make their job easier. So uh, I think, uh, and, and educating them also. Like when we started Social Bakers, like marketers looked at the number of fans a business had, we taught them to use Forty, fifty metrics in a great way to optimize and run their social media campaigns
0: So besides you mentioning that you would you know this time around build those strategic kind of relationships in the ecosystem What are the kind of other things you would take out of your previous experience as learnings for other founders and operators?
1: Well, I think the, the biggest the biggest learning uh, you know Was keep keep having an excellent product uh, I think that that one thing social makers always did well was the tech and the product back-end listening to the customer was absolutely critical one thing that we uh, Did not do well was you know I heard the talk earlier. That was a great talk on international expansion We were one of those companies that kind of did Europe and even rest of world first Before really starting to expand to the US and we were number one or number two in many international markets But we were like number seven eight or nine in the US and that really Kind of even though our U- U.S. presence at the end we, we were a company with you know 60 million ARR. So it, even though the U.S. presence was pretty big, it, it didn't compare uh, to you know other fellow companies in the space.
0: So take on the U.S. a bit stronger. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, with, with time is limited, where uh, our first sales team is in the U.S. My co-founder uh, Ulf is, is uh, sitting over in New York and kind of building the team first out of there and winning the U.S. absolutely first. Uh, Without without you know any exceptions doing that first then kind of focusing on the rest of the world
0: Yeah, so I think one thing that is often said about exits whether that be an acquisition Whether that be an IPO uh, and so forth is a lot of people say it's not actually the end And I think a good example in the kind of realm of acquisitions for this is for example a vault uh, Right now in Finland even though they're they're going to be acquired by DoorDash uh, It's not really the end. They're actually gonna lead DoorDash's global efforts. So kind of what I want to ask for you How do you see that uh, your role as a founder following an exit?
1: Well, you know uh, my, my my wife is also a tech entrepreneur and uh, she also sold her company uh, last year uh, uh, To a, a great kind of fun slash games company. Uh, she's in the games uh, uh, NFT games space and she she sold it to Animoca Brands, led by Yatsu, a great CEO. And they're approaching buying companies more of a fund, even though they buy 100% of the company. And so so not only did they all stay founders and team, uh, they managed to make a deal on on sort of in a way on on vesting, which which keeps them motivated for the next years to come and building it out. And you know as they sort of after they sold, they multiplied the company. I don't know how many times and. Uh, you know Animoca just raised uh, you know around which includes them for like you know the valuation of the mother companies like 2 plus billion at this moment. So so I guess there are ways to kind of motivate the founding team after after you stay and of course uh, you know if 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 a, a Big company like Google you know buys you then it's a question you can see the examples out there right if, if the founder sort of stayed not stay Facebook has managed to at first Motivate a lot of its founders of Instagram what's up to stay at the beginning, but then you know that quickly shifted and they left after sort of Two three four five years and it's now being led by 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 other people So I think a company has to figure out like do we want these founders to to stick around in these roles and at the end Work with them, and I think very few companies have that capability to keep uh, keep founders around
0: Yeah, and you yourself uh, resorted to founding a new company.
1: Well I think it it was I you know I twelve years is is a lot uh, for the social media space um, you know working uh, having worked with Facebook for a long long time I, I think it was kind of I had enough of social media for a certain amount of time and it was great to cool down and i I love I, you know when we were building social uh, social bakers, it became very clear to me that we had a lot of issues in collaboration as every company does as it was growing and and just you know, so many messages on Slack, so many meetings, more and more and more emails, and I just thought there's there's probably a better way to manage and uh, and understand the the heartbeat of a company, and so that's why we started. Uh, Time is limited uh, with with my co-founders now because uh, really enabling other companies to understand their heartbeats from meeting, from email, from Slack data to understand how should we change. That that's very important, and like. Today we see companies of like a thousand people sending each other Slack messages every two minutes and thirty seconds, right? On average, so engaging on like you can kind of see that that's not productive. You can see leaders spending over hundred hours a month in meetings, and they themselves in surveys say this is this is not what I want to do. This is not how I want to spend my life. So I, I thought as as the next company kind of starts saving people's time and team's time it's a it's a great mission that we we want to kind of you know uh, take a crack at
0: so i think that kind of proves the point that exit isn't really really the end since uh, i feel like once a startup founder always a startup founder and you just start a new venture yeah yeah
1: we you know exit you know there's there's a there's a a common misconception in in for founders it's like okay i sell my company i write off into the sunset and i maybe know Fifty other founders uh, v- up close and I know ones that have tried uh, you know they really sailed one of them actually sailed the world into the sunset for for a year uh, bought a yacht you know sold his house and like went around and eventually even the ones that I know that took the longest sabbaticals like two three years eventually got so depressed doing it that they all came back and started the next companies or their funds or or other things and i was in a founder conference a few weeks ago and i think there, there were sessions around riding into the sunset do we do we go and kind of just have fun with this money because many of us kind of could you know there's enough money that you don't have to ever work in your life but i've you know i've yet to see an example where that really worked and 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 in a way helped and i think for for me Getting back into it is just—that's uh, when the energy started coming coming back, even from uh, from times that sort of after 12 years, you're you're pretty tired after running a company for for 12 years. So taking some time off is important, I think. Uh, but rather managing a work-life balance within building the next company, rather than taking a year off and going going crazy, I think. You know, my wife would probably kick me out of the house, uh, you know, very quickly, like, go work, please, go do something.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. So thank you, Jan, for joining us for this session.
1: Thank you very much. Enjoy.